This podcast is brought to you by the film Ezra from Bleecker Street, directed by Tony Goldwyn with an incredible ensemble that includes Robert De Niro, Bobby Cannavale, and Whoopi Goldberg. Ezra is a funny and endearing story about Max, a divorced father struggling to co-parent his autistic son, Ezra. When faced with difficult decisions about the future, they embark on a cross-country road trip that has a transcendent impact on both their lives. Deadline calls Ezra a touching testament to the power of love. In theaters May 31st. Pampers Cruisers 360 is the must-have diaper to help keep your baby from taking it right off, which, if you've experienced this, can lead to complete chaos. With its 360-degree stretchy waistband that moves with your baby for a comfortable fit, your active baby can move freely. Think of it as baby yoga pants. Cruisers 360 offers a gap-free fit and has a blowout barrier at the back of the diaper to help stop any unwanted disasters. The best part? That stretchy waistband makes it so easy to change your wiggly baby, who is always on the move and can't be stopped. Just rip the sides to remove and roll it up with the disposal tape on the back. Voila! Pampers Cruisers are available in sizes 3 to 7 and now feature fun new prints. Pair with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes, made from 100% plant-based cloth that grips the mess without fear of tearing. With Free and Gentle, mess meets its match. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Hi, this is Laura Vanderkam. I'm a mother of five, an author, journalist, and speaker. And this is Sarah Hart Unger. I'm a mother of three, a practicing physician, and blogger on the side. We are two working parents who love our careers and our families. Welcome to Best of Both Worlds. Here we talk about how real women manage work, family, and time for fun. From figuring out childcare to mapping out long-term career goals, we want you to get the most out of life. Welcome to Best of Both Worlds. This is Laura. In this episode, we are going to be talking about digital parenting, or really tools to make parenting and household management easier with a focus on tech. And so we have covered the concept of tech and parenting before, but more from the question of screen time rules with kids, how to um introduce phones and other technology into our kids' lives. So do a shout out for episodes number 306 to 308 that ran in, I believe, June, was it, Sarah? June? It was definitely summer. And it was notable because I think that was our first themed series that we did. It may have been. And we um, we talked about kids screen time. I interviewed Devorah Heitner, who is the author of an awesome new book called Growing Up in Public. When we talked to her, that book was not out yet, but it is now. So you can go pick up a copy and sort of, especially if you've got tweens coming into that sort of age where they are building their own digital identities and these identities can, in fact, follow them around for the rest of their lives in a way that those of us who grew up pre, pre that age have not had to experience this 
growing up in public, in fact. So a lot of useful tips from that book, encouraging people to check that out. I don't think you'd call yourself an early adopter, would you, Sarah? I mean, I was thinking about this. Like, Yes and no. I think I've become more and more resistant as I've gotten older. When I was young, I actually was a very early adopter because my mom was into computers. I was like the first one with a printer at home and I'd bring in my like stapled stories and people were like, whoa, Um, (laughs) I was very fast to know how to type. I would like message on Prodigy and like pretend. You had Prodigy, right? Yeah. So I was like an early adopter, like in the 80s and 90s, but I've become more and more curmudgeonly in my old age. And more and more, I remember when the iPhone came out, I thought it looked cool, but I was like, oh God, oh God, I don't want this. I don't want this. I'm sad about it. And you know what? I still feel like I was kind of right. Like, <laughs> I, if I could like, yeah, I don't know, go back to that time and let my kids grow up during that time, I wouldn't be sad about it. But I know that's not everybody's feeling. So yes, less of an early adopter going forward, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. I, I guess I wouldn't think of myself as an, an early adopter. I mean, I I remember having a BlackBerry for a while in uh, the sort of 2005, 2006 era. And then I got a smartphone. I got an iPhone in, I think, 2009, I want to say, that some of the first things on it, the photos of, of baby Sam at the time. And yeah, I mean, I don't know. I I guess I'm somewhat of a tech skeptic, too. Because I think in many cases, a lot of these apps solve pseudo problems. I mean, things that are not truly problems and maybe are affecting a very small slice of humanity. I mean, there'd be some people like, oh, here's an app for like rating and buying baby stuff. And I'm like, well, like, can't any store do that? (laughs) Like, you know, you can ask another human being, like, what baby stuff did you use? And they can tell you. (laughs) I had such a related conversation in my running group yesterday where one of my friends who's a little bit younger she doesn't have kids yet she's i'm gonna say early 30s was like if you're not on social media how do you know about anything <laughs> i was like, like well there is this place tell called me other stuff. people in the world. <laughs> and i listen to up first on npr and you guys text me things and i listen to podcasts and like somehow i seem to generally know what's going on but it yeah. was interesting yeah, that is kind of funny. Which, I mean, there are a lot of cool stuff that's tech, and there's a lot of stuff that isn't very helpful. I mean, we talked in a recent episode, which we'll do a shout out for this again in case anyone didn't hear it the first time. One app that has, in fact, saved us a lot of time is the scanning app on your phone, your notes app. If you have an iPhone, you can open up, you can scan documents. It um, just like takes a picture of them basically and turns it into a PDF. So, if you have something that you want to keep a copy of and you've like signed and you need to send in. So maybe this is like a school medical form or camp form or anything like that. Easy peasy takes much less time than the old days of, you know, having to scan it on a real scanner and put it on some sort of memory stick and send it over or whatever else. So again, even if 99 out of 100 people hearing this knew that, the one who didn't has now just benefited their lives tremendously. We we got a ton of email about this, by the way. <laughs> yes. It was one of the more like of the whole episode, this was brought up again and again. So again and again. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we'll we'll go through a few examples of things. We asked our Patreon community what tools they enjoyed. We also got the idea to do this episode from a Patreon member who suggested we do a roundup of digital tools that could make parenting and home management easier. So 
maybe people will get some idea that somebody else is, is using from this. And if you have others, feel free to send them to us. You can always email me, laura at lauravandercam.com. I'm happy to share those later. So the, one of the examples, digital family calendar. So the idea being that we all have complex lives where we are trying to coordinate who can take who to what. And maybe there's another after school sitter involved in the driving too, or a nanny or somebody else who needs to know the household schedule or like a grandparent who's also helping with childcare. So you have multiple people who need to be aware of what other people are doing and what needs to get done. Well, when we have this at work, what do we do? We have a shared calendar where you know where your team members are and what they're working on. You can do this at home as well. So a lot of people use Google Calendar, Cozy. There are digital boards. Like You've looked into this, right, Sarah? Well, there's Skylight, which, uh-huh. shout out, prior podcast sponsor way back in the day. I think it was for their photo frames and not their digital calendar, but same company. And then there's a newer one called Dakboard, D-A-K-B-O-A-R-D. And I got to say, Dakboard is highly aesthetic. If you go to the website, they're like these beautiful big frames and they take your data out of Google Calendar or whatever, and they display it in this very friendly interface. And I can see the benefit if you are a family that enjoys using digital calendars and is used to using digital calendars to begin with. Because if not, then, you know, you're going to have this really pretty thing that nobody keeps up to date. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, there's two ways that you do it. I mean, one is just a shared calendar, right? You can have a shared calendar, Google Calendar, with any adults who need to see it or older kids as well. There's also the way you can do it so it's a display, right? So that even, you know, younger children or people who are just in your house that needed to know it, you know, like an occasional sitter that you weren't necessarily incorporating into your Google Calendar kind of thing would see the schedule as well, right? That's the two kinds, I guess, is what I'm hearing. Well, they're seeing it, but the data comes from somebody has to enter it somebody into to, Google oh, yeah, Calendar. <laughs> so someone's got to be a digital calendar user. And I guess enough stakeholders probably have to be accurately entering for this information to actually be correct. You get what yeah. I'm saying? Yeah. Which I could see being problematic because unlike a whiteboard where somebody might be actively managing it, if you're like kind of not paying attention, you could actually have this beautiful dashboard showing wrong information, which in many ways would be worse than no information. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because then people ask, like, what are we supposed to do as opposed to assuming that it's this because it didn't get updated since last week for whatever reason. Yeah. You don't do this, though. I don't. But I, again, in a family that's actively, like if you have two parents, especially who both enjoy using an electronic calendar and are good at keeping them updated and looking at them, I think this could be a really elegant and pretty solution. And then the kids would be able to see everything that's going on. And then as your kids get older, they could be adding to the calendar as well. And you'll see their little play date show up on the dackboard. And okay, (laughs) (laughs) they could look forward to it. Yeah. You tell you can actually even tell them if they could read, but they're having, you know, okay, it's four nights until that I get to that. Or I don't know, there's probably some way to do like emojis that could illustrated even if the child didn't entirely read we don't do this either we're pretty old-fashioned i send around a written list of where everyone needs to go when to my husband our nanny on you know usually thursday or friday usually for the next week and it has to get updated at various points and i guess i could see that a digital version of this would be more easier updated. But then I feel like people don't necessarily look at that. You know, if you get it like this invite has been updated, do you always look at that? I don't always look at that. So, you know, I feel like may as well make it its own thing. 
So, and I, I like to use a paper calendar, but I, I understand that I am hopelessly old fashioned in that way. And many people, the ship has sailed for that, at least in the work place anyway. Yeah, but you and I are very busy and we both do a lot of things and we both use paper calendars. So I guess I would challenge anyone who's like, it's impossible for me to use paper to like question. I mean, it probably isn't impossible. It's it's totally fine not to use paper, but I push back on the impossible. And we use a whiteboard, but I do text a picture of the whiteboard to our nanny and my husband at the beginning of every week. So it's kind of (laughs) digital. I guess it's digital. Hey, it's using digital tools. Yeah. Texting is very useful. I will say shout out to texting. I do like that. So AI, generative AI, such as ChatGPT, our listeners suggested, can use this for meal planning. It turns out that if you type in, like, give me a recipe with X, Y, and Z, or plan out a meal, a week of simple meals or five dinners based on sort of minimal ingredients. I mean, that's the kind of thing it actually can do. And, you know, you might get usable stuff. You might not. (laughs) This is all in an early stage, but that's when you look at it and say, okay, recipe on Tuesday looks like crap, but let's do Monday and Wednesday. Those sound good. Yeah. I could see how it'd be more valuable for like idea generating than maybe coming up with the complete plan. Although these things are continuing to evolve and maybe in three years, it would be able to spit out a perfect plan where it read my mind and knew exactly what we wanted every night. I don't know. I guess maybe if you had specific allergies or food limitations, this could be very useful because essentially it would be combing the internet for recipes that fit your, okay, no gluten and no dairy or something like that and coming up with specific things that fit that criteria. And that's not necessarily as easy to do by yourself. Yeah, I don't personally do this, but I do use prep dish, which is like a human version of this, and I really like it. Yeah, so. exactly. What we've been, yeah, the the AI can come up with lots of stuff that you know. There's different uses of it. So some people have actually used it for personalized bedtime stories. Sarah's not into this idea. I can see her rolling her eyes over here. But I have to say, I remember getting a book when I was a kid. That was like one of these you know, novelty books you can get where they had a story and they basically put your name in it, like chose a character who kind of looked like you so you could get it, you know, with certain hair color or skin color, or eye color, or whatever, and boy or girl and have a certain number of siblings in it that you would mention. And, you know, so the person sent in like your favorite activities and it spit out this story with, you know, fill in the blank with this and you got a copy of the book, right? And I remember that being kind of an interesting thing. It certainly wasn't a story I reread many times because it was stupid, but it was, you know, that was a lot of kids like personalized stuff, right? It's kind of cool to have things about you because as a kid, you don't necessarily have that. You know, you haven't been able to make your own life. You are sort of relying on everyone else. And so it's fun to be the hero of your own story, which you can be if somebody can create a story and not all parents at 8 p.m. are at tip-top creative idea generative time. So you could have AI generate a bedtime story about your four-year-old who is a girl who likes circus stuff and her poodle and is also into dragons. And it will come up with a story and you can then read that story. You could. I don't know why it's such a turn off for me. I guess I find the like bedtime reading like such an intimate 
like thing. And I also just like, I value like actual books, which I know you do as well, of course, as an author. I just, and this, again, this is like one of those like not fair kind of things. Like I don't have a great reason, but I'm viscerally like not into it. But hey, if you are, let us know. Maybe it's awesome. And Laura, I think you should try it with Henry tonight. (laughs) See what we come up with. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I got to say, not all children's literature book is great either. Like you can wind up with some real duds and it's if the kid really likes it over and over, it's kind of a, I think maybe we could come up with something better. But that idea of generating stuff, not even just stories, but the initial brainstorming is actually a huge thing for the use of AI. So for instance, you could tell one of the even suggested prompts over at chat GPT is I'd like to experience Seoul like a local, right? So if you were planning a family trip to South Korea and it was like, well, what on earth do I do? Like, if you don't want to go spend hours and hours and hours reading through guidebooks and lists and all that, they could give you a list. And then again, I wouldn't base your whole trip based on this. Like you should then take this to a travel agent or a friend who's been to Korea or lives there or whatever and say, what do you think of this? But it can get some of that initial brainstorming. Yeah, I actually did this for Vancouver and we were working with Notion at the time and I went in and I I used it. I was like, give me a list of family fun activities. And it was a great place to start from. So I agree. it's so good at like combing the Internet for like, I don't know, a collection of random facts or stuff that you need. I think that's like where its strength is. So I agree. Travel planning can be a great use. All right, we're going to take a quick ad break and then we'll be back with more digital tools for assisting with parenting and household management. This podcast is brought to you by the new film Ezra from Bleecker Street, directed by Tony Goldwyn and with an incredible ensemble cast that includes Robert De Niro, Bobby Cannavale, Whoopi Goldberg, Rose Byrne, Rain Wilson, and Vera Farmiga, along with newcomer William A. Fitzgerald. The film is an endearing and often funny story about Max, a divorced father and stand-up comedian living with his father and struggling to co-parent his autistic son Ezra. When forced to confront difficult decisions about the future, Max and Ezra embark on a cross-country road trip that has a transcendent impact on both their lives. Ezra is an endearing and often funny exploration of a family determined to find their way through life's complexities with humor, compassion, and heart. Deadline calls the film a touching testament to the power of love. IndieWire says it's funny and moving. And according to Next Best Picture, Ezra approaches autism with heart and authenticity. Only in theaters nationwide, May 31st. Pampers Cruisers 360 is the must-have diaper to help keep your baby from taking it right off, which, if you've experienced this, can lead to complete chaos. With its 360-degree stretchy waistband that moves with your baby for a comfortable fit, your active baby can move freely. Think of it as baby yoga pants. Cruisers 360 offers a gap-free fit and has a blowout barrier at the back of the diaper to help stop any unwanted disasters. The best part? That stretchy waistband makes it so easy to change your wiggly baby, who is always on the move and can't be stopped. Just rip the sides to remove and roll it up with the disposal tape on the back. Voila! Pampers Cruisers are available in sizes 3 to 7 and now feature fun new prints. Pair with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes made from 100% plant-based cloth that grips the mess without fear of tearing. With free and gentle, mess meets its match. For trusted protection, trust Pampers. 
the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Today's episode is sponsored in part by Thrive Cosmetics. I am a speed demon when it comes to my makeup routine. I have approximately five minutes, or maybe three, between showering and starting my routine of getting the kids out the door for school. And so I'm always looking for products to keep things super streamlined and easy for my everyday look. Thrive Cosmetics for years has been part of that. I've discussed the Brilliant Eye Brightener before, which is a serious workhorse for making me look more awake. But lately, I'm also super into their Liquid Lash Extensions Mascara. It's a tubing mascara that lengthens lashes and is super easy to remove as well, which is key because my makeup removal routine is just as streamlined. You can feel great about shopping at Thrive because for every product purchased, Thrive Cosmetics donates products and funds to help communities thrive. So refresh your everyday look with Thrive Cosmetics, luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 10% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com slash bestof. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E, M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash best of B-E-S-T-O-F for 10% off your first order. So we were talking about tools that can help with parenting, household management. I think this listener who suggested we do one of this also said you could use AI to sort through colleges to narrow down the list. Oh, that was my idea. (laughs) Oh, that was your idea. Okay. Tell me what you mean by that. Yeah, I was just thinking like there are so many colleges out there and AI might be a nice way if you're like, I want a urban environment with a really strong music program. I bet it could like give you a really decent list of colleges. I mean, it may not hit every one, but again, it's a place to start from. I think anytime you're trying to narrow something that feels really overwhelming, this could be useful. So colleges kind of came to my mind. Yeah. Now, one thing you should encourage your children not to use AI for is writing their papers. (laughs) So this is, um, I actually read a fascinating study. I mean, it was an informal study, but someone had asked her Harvard professors to grade a couple of essays. And it's like one of the essays was AI generated and others were written by human students. And just to see, like, what grades would this get? And, you know, are the grades different? Can they tell the difference? I mean, they couldn't. I mean, the thing is, they they got reasonable grades. They didn't get great grades. So if you, you know, want to get a B minus at Harvard, I guess you can use these. Uh, But the A students are probably, it's not there yet. But of course, you know, things are getting better. So that's going to change the entire way that people are going to even be working with like assigning papers and stuff like that. I think there's going to be a lot more to sort of in-class reflection or, you know, the tests being in the place as opposed to being out on your own, being more written. Because, you know, if you're on any sort of device, I mean, people can come up with ways if they are ethically challenged to use tools that they're not supposed to use. So that's a fascinating thing that's happening. Yeah. And I can imagine, I mean, I'm not an expert in this at all, but the detection when it's AI must be very difficult because unlike a plagiarism sensor, like some of it is novel material. It just was written by a robot and not the student. And so like, oh, what a challenge I feel for those in academia. But yeah, maybe it'll be more like bring back the old blue books. (laughs) Yeah. Although the thing with that is that because I, I don't know that people are having quite as much an issue of people using it as a starting point for then other stuff, right? Like once you're in the workforce, people might use it to write a rough draft of like a press release and then you go in and make it better. But 
it's often very hard to turn nothing into something, whereas turning something into something better with the expertise of knowing what's accurate and what's not, and what's a total dud of an idea and what's a good idea, it just gets you started in the same way of that brainstorming. And and so, you know, using it as a tool, it's probably a, a different matter. So, yeah, interesting stuff. I think about this a lot as a writer. <laughs> I can imagine. Moving on. Digital payments. You do a lot of sort of, well, you do subscriptions and, well, no, that's different. Okay. What automatic payments do you do? I have a number of things on automatic payments. Like I don't pay our phone bill. I don't pay our electric. I mean, I pay all these things. Most of my payments are automatic, to be honest. I don't do a lot of like check writing. And in fact, I even have YNAB typically set up to then also be on like a monthly thing. So it also knows that we're going to have a thing. And then when it comes through, it kind of like matches it anyway. So there's, there's some automation there for most of them. Does anybody not do automatic payments at this point? I'm sure there are people who don't. I don't know. There's probably... I mean, I pay a lot of bills with checks and... Do you? Yeah, some. Some I do. And I mean, you know, my credit card for stuff, but I actually input it a lot of times. I don't know. It's like wanting to keep track of certain things. Because I found, and I'm sure you have too, and a lot of our listeners, that when you don't, when you have things on repeat you can wind up using it longer than you really are using it. That you have to, if you're going to do this, you should build in a regular time to audit what you're paying. Which I do because that's what I do with YNAB every single month is I literally go through every credit card statement and look at every transaction manually and make sure it's all in there. So that awareness comes from that work, which I've gotten pretty fast at, by the way. It's not like hours and hours. But if I didn't do that, yes, I could see that this could be a, a very slippery slope and you'd have a number of subscriptions you might not even remember existed. Yeah. Yeah. No, I definitely, um, when I was doing my business taxes recently, uh, found a few things. I was like, well, I'm, I'm not sure I'm really using that to the extent of paying for it every month. I think maybe we should uh, cancel that. So I, I did a few things and I'm glad that I did, which is the same problem with subscriptions, right? So you've got a number of consumer item type things on subscription, correct? Yes. So we do use Amazon's subscribe and save for a number of things that I put in the household goods category on you need a budget. So everything from like packing tape to laundry to and now we've even added in some like we do our collagen peptides on there because it's cheaper, our running gels, certain stationary supplies. But the key is human interaction because every single month, Amazon will send you an email warning that's like, you have three days to like update your list or else we're sending you everything on it. And if I miss that, it is, I mean, it is like a disaster. Like we just get boxes and boxes because there's more things than I actually need because you always have the ability to push it forward, but you won't get that subscribe and save price if you take it off your list entirely. So it's quick, but I, I have a little reminder at like the end of each month, around the 26th of the month to go in there and be like, what do we actually need for the coming month? And then I push forward anything we don't need. And it's it works pretty well. I feel like I've gotten a good rhythm with that. Yeah. It's funny to think, you know, if something were to happen to us, like what are the things that would sort of go wrong in the, the gears in the household and <laughs> in Sarah's household? If something were to happen to her, next thing they know, there's like <laughs> gallons of peptide, whatever, collagen showing up. <laughs> yes, exactly. Peptides forever. <laughs> peptides forever. Like, what do I do with all this stuff? <laughs> now I have multiple problems. <laughs> because 
you know, yeah, I mean, the, the, their incentives are not necessarily to remind you to get it off. Uh, so you have to be paying attention to that. But uh, digital tools can remind you of things. So this is always helpful with like calendar reminders, for instance, correct? Yeah, I don't do any of that, but I know a lot of people like to do that. I just have my paper calendar and my reminders that I look at it every day. So I don't need my phone also like telling me that I have something. Sometimes it's kind of fun to see that, for example, like I'm doing that marathon nutrition course and by some internet magic, it will show up on my watch. Like I didn't make that happen. It just did. But it's also in my planner. But it's like, oh, look, I get reminded every whatever. Right now it says 2014 boys soccer practice or whatever. Like, but I don't need that because it's also in my planner. But some people love that. Again, you then just have to make sure that everything is in there and that you have them correctly set up because if you're kind of half there, half not there, dangerous, bad. Yeah. We <laughs> reminds me of the, the problems with tech then too. So um, last year, as in like 2022 to 2023 winter, Ruth was in skating lessons and it was like, at noon, 1230 on Saturdays or something. And so Michael put in a recurring calendar reminder for like 1210 leave on Saturday and put me on it. And now it keeps showing up like every Saturday for I don't know, like, did he not delete it? I don't understand. Like, I can't get off of it. I don't think like he has to take me off of it. And I don't know. I keep getting this thing. I mean, I don't really care. Like, I don't look at it that much, but it's sort of <laughs> the tech takes on a Yeah, a your planner wouldn't do that to you. Yeah, <laughs> my planner never tells me what I don't want to. <laughs> so human interaction with the tool. Again, that's a theme. You can use these tools. You must actively manage these tools. Unfortunately, much of technology these days is not set it and forget it. It's set it and actively manage it. Yeah, exactly. Set it and actively manage it. We both do use one cool version of AI or whatever it is, the algorithm that Shutterfly and probably other photo sites as well can make you an album with a reasonable layout when you put in, let's say, 30 photos, you know, from your beach vacation, you say, create an album and it will do so and it will choose, you know, things that layouts that look nice. And so if you don't have a particular artistic talent for doing that, or even if you are wonderfully gifted in that area, but really don't want to use those skills for creating your, you know, album of your beach vacation, it makes one that looks great. So we use that all the time. Yes, I do. I do for our big yearly albums. And I do still manually pull out the it's like 300 or 400. You have, you know, there's like a limit, but I wonder if we're going to eventually get to the point where it could just literally look at my photos on google photos and just be like i know what the good ones are <laughs> here's your 2023 <laughs> album and if it was like 90 percent as good as what i would do on my own i would kind of be okay with that so yeah or yeah. even i mean yeah you tell it like photos from my beach vacation right like and it, it would be able to figure out like what a normal human would choose from that yes. although then there's always the question because you know whoever is making the album tends to optimize for the photos that they look better in right I mean, that's just human nature. I've seen it with other people's albums. Like, that's just, it's what you do. Like, and... Uh, I'm like not in any of the photos, so that's not a problem for <laughs> yeah, us. Yeah, no, that's true. If it's photos of your kids at the beach, that's one thing. But if uh, if it's ones that uh, you feature in in any way, you're always just, you know, like, oh, well, my eyes are a little closed in that one. <laughs> you're not looking at anyone else. So that's good. Now, we don't have Alexas in our home. I know a lot of people like those sort of, you know, services. But one upside for the people who do use them, and we heard from a lot of people, is that it can tell your kids to do things 
at certain times. So for anyone who has taken on the role of morning drill sergeant to get your children out the door, and if you perhaps do not enjoy doing this, like it's 724, you need to be brushing your teeth or whatever it is that you find yourself saying, you could program Alexa or Family Bell on Google Assist or a couple other different programs to do this for you. I just wonder whether my kids would listen to that voice because I feel like they don't even listen to mine until mine has a lot of emotion in it. (laughs) (laughs) Can you get Alexa to yell? (laughs) Maybe. I don't know. I have sensed that you are ignoring my initial message. (laughs) (laughs) Does it say things like, if you don't finish up in the bathroom now, you are going to miss the bus. <laughs> the sort of or thing? like, I will not ship you that toy you ordered. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, Alexa plays dirty. <laughs> exactly. By the way, we've just activated everyone's Alexa who's I listening know. Sorry like 10 about times. That. So yeah, sorry. we should have called it a code name like Charlotte or something. <laughs> just, yeah, you can tell we don't have them. We don't have one. Apologies for that. But yeah, I like this idea of having something else tell the kid. And you did this with a playlist, though, didn't you, at at one point? Yes. Oh, my God. I cannot listen to those songs ever again. (laughs) It was like the beginning of the Descendants soundtrack, and it was like every single day. Oh, my God. Well, that is the problem. You got to change it up every once in a while if you're going to do that. Then it's not like, oh, when I hear this song, it's time to brush my teeth because then you've changed it. So, yeah, I like the idea of a playlist, but that has its downsides. Whereas the announcement that it is time to be brushing your teeth, it is time to be putting on your shoes, is a little bit harder to get sick of, perhaps. And by the way, this is not a new idea. Like, I just had a flashback to, like, the mid-90s when my uncle had, like, an intercom set up with recordings in the house that were, like, time for bed. <laughs> not at my house. Like, I didn't grow up with that. But I remember being at their house and being like, wow, do they, do they listen to that? <laughs> oh, no. I don't know. But yeah, I mean, if they don't listen to us either, then (laughs) I'm not sure that the uh, digital assistant could do a worse job. So that is actually something a lot of people suggested and uh, you might want to look into. Allowance management. This is an interesting, I mean, especially as fewer and fewer people use cash. And while I like cash because I think it's great for teaching kids about money and like making change. It's like a little math lesson every time. And it feels more real when you're handing over dollars as opposed to like swiping a card. Like who knows how much money there is on the card? Like it's, it's infinite for all we know, even if it isn't. A lot of places don't take cash anymore. And so we found this out, like when kids went on, say, a youth group trip or a school trip to a amusement park. And, you know, what would I do? I would have sent the kid with some amount of cash to spend for the day. And then we realized that they don't take cash. And so, you know, most of these places, they understand it's still a transition. And so they have machines where you can turn dollar bills into a cash card. But, you know, I think possibly in the future, most places will be like, oh, you need a credit or debit card. And of course, I'm not like giving my 12-year-old, like I I wasn't, you know, in the mindset that my 12-year-old needs a debit card, right? Like that, why would they need that? I can just give them cash, but that increasingly is changing, so... Yeah, I'm actually, of all these things we're talking about, I think I'm going to check out Greenlight or similar apps. I'll have to see if my husband's on board because he's actually the one that manages allowance for the most part at our house. But I kind of like the idea of something that allows them to track it easily and just an easy way to have them pay. So, yeah. Is there a YNAB Junior for that sort of thing? It's a great question. I don't think there's a kid-specific program. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like a cool idea. And I think a lot of people do that. I think 
some systems, money management systems for kids are a little on the pricier side. So you have to, again, weigh that in. Is it worth the extra dollars per month to do this versus some other system that you could just use? But I don't know. I haven't really looked into that much because, again, we just give them the cash cards. But yeah, we probably need to give the older ones a, a regular debit card. Actually, I think they have one. All right. Anyway, <laughs> they don't use it frequently. So, you know, people have shared the idea of like trying to create a the ideas of like documents that people can all use. So, you know, if you have things that a babysitter needs to know, that could be in a document, though, of course, you probably want to run through it with the person too the first time, just because if, especially if you have particular things a kid needs. It's better to make sure the person understands. I'm picturing like a QR code on the fridge that they have to scan with their phone to be like, here's the list. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. The problem is I feel like people don't look at stuff, right? Like you scan the phone. It's like, yeah, it's just somewhere in another digital bit of stuff I don't look at. And if it actually mattered, like the kid needs medicine at eight o'clock, like probably you need to actually run through that with us rather than trusting that it was in there. But you can certainly use shared documents for things like holiday lists, gifts for birthdays, vacation planning. People said, my husband and I use a shared OneNote to put gift ideas, vacation planning notes, and Costco shopping lists. I like that. I know um, my kids have already been working on Google Slides. They're shareable with what they want for Hanukkah. So that's... (laughs) Great. So kids are all over the digital tech. <laughs> we just have to get on board. Yeah, I don't know. We <laughs> we have not done the shared doc thing. I tend to just have it in a notebook somewhere. Or we um have just not even been making lists for going to Costco. And my husband goes and we he overbuys like crazy. And I guess that's just the the price we pay for reducing mental load. So Sarah, are you going to try any of these? I like the allowance idea. That's the main one. And then you know some of them might. I- already do to some extent. We have some shared lists in our house. And yeah, but the most appealing one that we've talked about, I may go to generative AI more, you know, as time goes on, especially as it gets better. And yes, I do want to figure out something better for allowances and debit cards and stuff like that. So that those are probably the ones that stick out to me the most. What about you? Yeah, I just realized that, yeah, for this Christmas, I probably should just do a Google Doc and we can add to that and maybe it'll look a little bit more rather than like scratching off and like adding and then trying desperately to make sure everyone has the same amount of stuff that that might be a little bit more orderly, but yeah, I don't know if we'd both remember to add everything to it. So <laughs> your kids would kids would, well, I don't want them to see it though. Right. Like, oh no, but if they had requests, if they, they had, had their requests. own Google doc that they I mean, wanted to the submit yeah, to you, they could just add to it. But then it's like, I don't know. Well, ours is a slideshow with links. You can see all the stuff. <laughs> One click to buy, you know, just make it real easy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. Well, moving to the question, this is from a listener. It says, what age did your kids transition from more family-oriented birthday parties to inviting their own friends? My oldest will be four at the end of the year and has been talking about a friend birthday party, which I totally understand because I think this seems like a logical age to start. The problem is I know her grandparents who live close by still want and expect to celebrate in some way. Doing two parties seems like a lot to bite off, especially since this is not the only child. It just happens to be the oldest child. Do you have any wisdom about including grandparents, but still making it kid-centered? Yeah, so definitely the kid-centered part, I feel like, starts around age three, four, something like that, where you're inviting their friends. But, and this may be partly cultural, grandparents are very common at 
many birthday parties that I go to and they're often in some sort of like either just hanging out or like helper kind of a role. There's a lot of really close multi-generational families in Florida. And so like it is very, very commonplace to be like, oh, here's grandma. And like, you know, she made the cake or something like that. So I guess like you can certainly combine them and we invite grandparents like it's usually Josh's parents because they're the ones who live in the same area. But we always invite them, even when the party is absolutely kid-centric. Like, I think at Annabelle's party, we had the friends that she wanted at our house doing the activities they wanted. But, like, why not have Vivi and Poppy hang out and help? And then you kind of end up with, like, a little mini adult party going on. And as the kids get older, they need less and less interaction. So it's actually kind of nice for the adults to have something to do. And if you have close family friends, like, you know, at some point it becomes a drop-off. But, like, maybe someone's from a little bit farther away. And if you have close family friends that have friends the kids age again they can kind of join your little adult party so i don't think it has to be one or the other yeah what about you guys it's not two separate parties you can totally combine this and i think this is um just a mindset in general like if people like you from different spheres of your life generally they're going to be fine together (laughs) and that's something that was not natural to me to think about because i'm not i don't know i'm not like an extroverted person like i'm not a natural like pairing people up or introducing people or anything like that. But anyone that you like, whatever sphere of life, like, and even if they don't get along, they're going to be like pleasant enough that it's going to be fine. Right. So I would not worry about bringing people together from different spheres of your life just in general. And that translates also to this idea of the kid birthday party. So absolutely let your kid have a kid focused birthday party, go rent out that bouncy house place, Because it's four, they probably are not dropping the kids off. So you're going to have a lot of parents there anyway. So they're going to get to meet your parents. Isn't that exciting? Like now you have people from different parts of your life who know each other. And yeah, you know, your parents can help out, but they can also stick around afterwards, right? So then, you know, as you all the families are leaving, they're still there with you. You know, the grandparents are there. And then, you know, they help you pack up. They go back to your house with you. You have a family dinner together because you're going to have to eat anyway, right? So like, you know, just come back and, you know, they can maybe help the kid open the presents, like, you know, provide that ooh and ah, because again, this is new parents here. Maybe they know, maybe they don't know. Most kids don't open presents at parties these days. So you're going to be taking giant clothes baskets full of these presents home. And then you can open them at home. And then the parents, the grandparents can provide a appreciative audience as the children are opening the presents. And so I, I think you can find a way to incorporate them as special people and sort of honoring them as well and having them do other things than just the bouncy house party, even though the kid is focused on the bouncy house party. Agree. Best of both worlds. Best of both worlds. And kids' friends. (laughs) Parents and kids' friends. Exactly. So love of the week. I guess we're going to go tech focus this week, right? Uh Uh-oh. I forget mine. So you go first. (laughs) Uh, Okay. Well, I like that I can FaceTime with my trainer. So uh, long-time listeners know that I... um, hired a trainer this year to work out with once a week to do strength training, as that seems to be the only way I can get myself to do it. And we meet by FaceTime. So I use the weights in my little home gym. I mean, it's basically just like dumbbells and bands and resistance bands and things like that. And I put him on my phone, you know, propped up on the floor. And he's he learned how to do this, I think, during COVID when all his regular clients were not meeting in person. And, you know, he'd figured out how to coach people via iPad and 
iPhone and all that. And now I think it's a reasonable chunk of his business because even people who are there, I mean, it's easier to do this if they're in his home, their home gym. And maybe he'll, if he, they're training with him multiple times a week, maybe he'll come once and then another time do by iPad or something. So anyway, it opens up like, cause I could never have worked with this person because we don't live anywhere near each other, but because it can be done virtual, we can. So I think that's kind of an awesome thing. I think both of ours were on the same vein, how digital can combine with human to make something even better than it was before. And so mine was I'm working with a running coach who is decidedly human, but we use Strava for him to look at my runs, which is digital and a Google sheet for all my workouts to be planned out and to comment on that. And again, it's like, it's the mix that makes it really, really work because it would be really tough for everything to be analog, but it's really the human behind it that makes it so great. So yeah, digital plus human. Yep, there you good. go. That's the formula for success, using digital things as tools to make our human lives better. Well, this has been Best of Both Worlds. We have been talking about digital tools for parenting, household management, the ones we'd like to use, the ones we're not so excited about, but maybe other people are really into. So please let us know your favorites. And we will be back next week with more on making work and life fit together. Thanks for listening. You can find me, Sarah, at theshoebox.com or at the underscore shoebox on Instagram. And you can find me, Laura, at lauravandercam.com. This has been the Best of Both Worlds podcast. Please join us next time for more on making work and life work together. Bean Dad. The Dress, 30 to 50 feral hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side.